Hello and welcome to this uh, special episode of Epochs where I should be talking about the history of aviation and I'm joined by returning guest squadron leader Tim Davies. How are you? Yeah, retired. Retired. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah. That was the rank you retired, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually. Okay. Yeah, squadron, yeah. yeah. Cool. So you flew, just to remind everyone who might have forgotten, you flew a number of things, but among them uh the hawk and tornadoes yeah hawk tornado is what i what i flew on uh throughout my entire career pretty much from leaving the hawk in training went back to the hawk t1 went to tornado gl4 which is the ground attack variant then came back for hawk t1 and then uh, to teach on teach on that and then back for hawk t2 as well that's right so here's a picture of a t1 yes that's what the red arrows fly obviously in right. a black livery there yes uh but so that used to be sort of your uh, one of your offices yeah, absolutely. That's a Hawk T1. Um, the legacy, the legacy Hawk, as we called her. Uh, she's like the MG midget of the of the flying world. Bakelite dials in there. Uh, that's a cold rose based Hawk, I believe, a, a naval Hawk, as it says on the side there. And I did. I held with um, what was Fradu at the time down at Cold Rose before I went on to the Decano in flying training and got really used to how they operate Hawks and stuff. It's a great airplane, still flown by the Red Arrows. It's. Um, I think everyone that's gone through the the legacy Hawk, the Hawk T1, still loves that platform most definitely. Yeah. Um. Is today other than the Red Arrows? Does is it flown anymore? Yeah, it's flown all over the world in different variants. So the Hawk T two, um, we'll start calling things the one hundred series Hawks, so the Hawk one two seven, Hawk three two that India has other variants, but they tend that's to a have T2. that's a T two. That's um, the first T two that was made, I believe, because uh, it's uh, serial two zero. Oh, actually, no, it's probably a bit later. It's probably like the length one, I think, or tenth length. But this has a lot of avionics in it, so the nose is a bit longer. It contains a lot of avionics, which is for the data link, the synthetic radar, the synthetic radar warning receiver. And that really upgraded the platform. We always flew with a centerline tank on as well, gave us an extra 340 kilograms of fuel. And we had the, uh, the wingtip sort of um, the, the acquisition missiles really for uh, their combat that the aircraft did. That's a great aeroplane. We have 28 of those in the Air Force. And again, it's sold all over the world. So the Hawk is just uh, absolutely fantastic uh, aircraft. It's done since 1974, I think, it's been with the Royal Air Force. And they can actually do <clears throat> actual combat sorties right it's not just for yeah um the red arrows to do formation flying it is actually you can use it for combat yeah so it was designed as a um it's really strange how the hawk was designed and the hawk story if you google the hawk story it's a really interesting story about how they kind of got lucky with the build really and the center of gravity they kind of got lucky with quite a lot and they had to put a few things on like the wing fences and some vortex generators on the, on the wing and some other little bits and pieces and they had to cut a bit out of the flap because it did there was a there was a stall configuration that was a little bit um, antagonistic uh, for for junior pilots to sort of cope with. So they made some changes, but essentially when they designed the Hawk, they designed it really really well. Mm. Like this is talking like on a on a drawing board Friday afternoon before we get on the pub. Let's design an airplane, and they and they they came around with a with a really really great design. But it is a weapon system. So when they designed it, it was a fighter trainer in effect. So that aircraft there, the Hawk T two, is a weapon system in itself. You could hang ordnance off that. You could drop it. Um, you could destroy things. However, it's a heavily synthetic platform for flying training. And the T2 there, RT2, was never designed to be a weapon system or used in that. Yeah. Whereas the ones that we sold uh, to India and some other countries were sold with that, that in mind, that it could be utilised in that capacity. The Hawk T1 was a weapon as well. Um, we just never used it. We had live drop capabilities of the Hawk T1 with practice bombs. We never used it in that capability within, uh, we never used it in an aggressive role within the service. No, it was purely in flying training. It, I particularly, I think a lot of people will say this. They think the T1 particularly is a lovely looking plane. Um, just the pure aesthetics of it. I know, I guess it's from childhood and the red arrows. Yeah. There's just something about it sort of uh, 
it's outline, which are just, it's just really nice. You know, it's not over the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and just one last thing before we move on from it. Uh, you mentioned going back to the seventies and sort of Bakelite dials and things. The T1 at least is very sort of um, stripped down, right? It's sort of very manual. You really, you really fly it, right? Yeah. There's oh, no yeah. two ways about that on a T1. There's no autopilot in that airplane. Right. Um, it kills people pretty, pretty rapidly. So. When I was in the service, I forget how many people the T1 killed or how many people in a T1 killed themselves, should we say, because uh, normally it's either flying at the ground, there's no radar warner. So there's no, okay, if we're going to, one of the things about the red arrows that's quite interesting was whenever the red arrows have a, an accident, or whenever anyone has an accident, we call them accidents, they're really incidents, we know that. Whenever any Hawk T1 crashes, the service inquiry will come out and have a list of recommendations. And those recommendations are always the same. They need a voice recorder in the aircraft that records a voice. It doesn't do that in the T1. There are elements built in, never connected. There's many reasons why it doesn't do that. Uh, it needs a radar uh, altimeter. So there's always something that's going to tell you the height above the ground that you're flying over. Doesn't have one of those. Um, it will need a ground proximity warning system. So it knows again whether it's going to hit a mountain, it will tell you. Doesn't have one of those. It needs a traffic collision avoidance system, TCAS, civilian, so other aircraft, it can tell them where. Doesn't have one of those. Whereas the Hawk T2 does have all these things. So it's a lot safer in an airplane, the Hawk T2, and it's a bit heavy, the Hawk T2. This being quite light, I think it's 5,400, I can't remember the exact, 5,400 kilograms, something like that. It will, it will reach, say, 7, 8G faster than any other aircraft in right. the Air Force. So what kills people is not the level of G necessarily, their app, because we can work that G, because we're fit as tigers and we are in a tiger. It hurts, but it's the rate at which you get to that G. Right, right. So if I get to 9G faster than, say, a Typhoon does, or faster than most definitely, say, a GL4 that I flew did, there's more chance of me becoming unconscious as the blood rapidly drains from the right. brain, and I can't sustain it within the upper body. <clears throat> and on the Hawk T1, that does that. That's, that aircraft gets to uh, its G limit faster than anything else. So you do have to be respectful of her, and she is quite old now, so she does look after a lot of pilots. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think the Red Arrows are the only people in the country now flying that airplane. Right, right. Everyone else has stopped now. They've got a bit long in the tooth. So I think we said before, um, <clears throat> there's something like, you know, it's not got anywhere near the power of, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, an F-16 or an F-18 or something. But just like how an aerial atom hasn't got anywhere near the power yeah. of, a, of a, a, a Lamborghini, no, yeah. Yeah. it's not about, it's not just about the pure power. It's about mm. acceleration and all sorts of different things. And in that sense, the T1 is uh, sort of really no, really no joke, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, I chased a typhoon in the Northern Plain when I was leaving the T1 community, and I just happened to come across a typhoon. And uh, the typhoon, I was doing a, a beam presentation to the typhoon. We used to be able to do them in those days, just to find random people and try and shoot them. And when that thing saw me and it turned towards me, I realized the capabilities of that typhoon. It, it is epic. The power of that mm. thing is amazing. But I'm small and I'm light and I'm also hard to see. So you can't, you can't always see me. You can always see a typhoon. It's big. It's the size of a tennis court. So you can have a good old fight with a typhoon. Eventually that thing will overpower you, you know, within, a, you know, within you know, 30 seconds or whatever. But you can still challenge it because you're small and you're light and you're nippy. And uh, if you can fly a Hawk well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a great airplane to, to learn on. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're getting rid of them all now and uh, staying with our Hawk T2s, which again... Are... Do you think that, just before we move on from this, do you think the Red Arrows will just keep flying T1s sort of not forever, because yeah. nothing lasts forever, but for the foreseeable future, there's no, yeah. you haven't heard anything that they're going to nope. start doing? Okay, cool. Nothing cool. to move on to, is there? We don't build anything right. more, do we? <laughs> What's the last thing we built? You did mention the GR4 there, the Tornado, which is yes. sort of, um, yes. I take it you're, you, it, it, that's the thing you're closest to? Is that a way of, of putting it? Or the thing you spent most of your career 
flying? Uh, I think right? I think you're more involved with your frontline airplane more than a training airplane. You, okay, you obviously right, you're flying right. your frontline airplane the whole time, whereas in training you tend to be in the back seat. Students flying a lot. So when I think back to the GR, and this is the side of aviation I, I think I miss the most, even though it's probably the most stressful. Uh, I miss the, the operational tours over Iraq. I miss the red flags. I miss the, the maple flags, the Cope Thunders, all the exercises in North America, the European exercises, the things where you deploy as a squadron or you attach to another squadron uh, and you have to achieve. There's, you have to achieve because failure means you normally fly into a mountainside or something. So, and you're, you're there with your guys and the girls on the squadron. We had more girls in our squadron than any other squadron in the Air Force. And you are... I'm not just saying that because it's a big thing now, isn't it? Crikey, but we just did. It's just, we had, we had lots of girls. And you just, you, you take the jets out and you do the work. And uh, that jet is one, I believe, even when I speak to my American guys who fly A-10s and F-16s, they love that thing mm. because it's the one thing on red flag that would always kind of get to the target somehow. <laughs> and, uh, and they always kind of, I don't know why, and the wings are always back and there's always fire coming out the back and it's always doing you know, 600, like a stupid speed at like 100 feet over the desert. Mm. And the Americans had a lot of respect for it. I mean, we have, we've got a lot of respect for the Americans and what they do. Absolutely, don't get me wrong, absolutely. But everyone loves the, uh, the GR4. Yeah, so one of the things, just to say, people who might not be that familiar, is that it's a, it's a bomber, really, a bomber fighter, right? It's, it's not a straight-up fighter. Yeah, it was designed, wasn't it, to be both. Right. When Panavia came out with the design, it was supposed to be this... Um, Multi-role combat aircraft, MRC. Because the first one, the GR1s, are they back mm. from the 70s, is that right? Yeah, GR1s, right. yeah. Yeah, um, GR1, GR1B, and then went into the, the uh, obviously the GR4, GR1, GR1A, GR1B, GR4, was the big upgrade, which is what these are here, which gave it um, forward-looking infrared, removed one of the guns, and some other capabilities that it didn't have before. But um, yeah, there was the F3 variant, which was the ADV, advanced defense variant, which was interceptor, not a fighter. And that would go up, try and shoot things down, then get back again. But I never really felt people saw the. Oh, this is me as a bomber pilot saying this. Um, and I just felt never, no one ever really looked at the F3 and said, wow, that's, I want to fly that. They looked at the GR4 right. and they did want to fly that. Right. Because um, where you get to fly as well, I mean, you're flying low level in the valleys of Scotland, that would never get done again. Those times are gone now. Yeah, like uh, the Mac Loop. Yeah, yeah, down through Wales. I mean, the whole of the UK is a playground, was a playground. I don't mm. know whether it's the same now. But, Again, it's uh, a, <clears throat> it is a very nice looking plane, isn't it? And uh, it sort yes. of had the, the, it could sweep its wings back. There it is with sort of in fast mode. Fast mode, 67, yeah. Well, 67 or 63, depending on what the size of tanks you had on the wings. Mm. We always had tanks on the wings, either the smaller or the bigger tanks. In fact, interestingly enough, one of the squadrons, 617, who were across the other side of the airfield, I was on 12, they used to fly with two big tanks. I think they were 2250 litres. I, I can't remember now. And there were smaller tanks, which I think were the 1500s. And what we used to do on 12 Squadron is we used to put three times 1500 tanks on, two on the wings, one on the body of the jet, giving us uh, 4,500 pounds worth of fuel, 4,500 kilograms worth of fuel. Whereas 617 used to put two of these 2250s, which gives exactly the same amount of fuel. They used to get a lot less flight time than us because they were just bigger tanks, the size right. of the tank. Right. Um, and, they, and even when we had two of the smaller tanks on our wings, we still got more flight time than them. Now, they could only sweep their wings back to 63. We could sweep our wings back to 67. And then we're going to geek out on other details that we're not careful. So we don't need to talk about that stuff. You know? Okay. But, but it is a... <clears throat> are you nostalgic about it? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah. Yeah, it's legendary, isn't right. it? Yeah, I do. And the thing is... Because the RF doesn't fly them anymore. No, not anymore. Not since I went to the... I think it was 2018, 2019. Could be wrong. Might be a bit late in that, 2020. Uh, at Marham, I think they, they did the last flight at Marham. I went down to see that. That was brilliant. But yeah, everyone is. They meet up every year. I haven't been yet because um, 
I, I talk about things that a lot of people get annoyed about. So I just walk into a room full of half the room hating me and half the room liking what I said. So I don't go to the reunions necessarily. And I'm also a big fan of, in my life, that when something's done, here I am talking about a previous aspect of my life, but when something's done, you sort of move on and you try and do something else. Uh, which sounds ridiculous, seeing as I've got a business that, that teaches people to fly things like this. But um, no, of course I'm nostalgic. Yeah, fantastic cool. airplane. Well, one last thing before we start talking about <clears throat> the history of aviation um, is uh, just a, a quick view of uh, inside. Yes. So I take it you're ex- uh, you know couldn't be more familiar with with that. That is inside the GR4. Is that right? That's right. Definitely. I know what all that does now. <laughs> it's only been ten, fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing I did want to ask you about is that before now we've I've talked to you about or you've talked to me about how um, <clears throat> quite often, particularly if it's sort of a real life situation or a stressful part of a training mission or something, you're looking out all the time. You're actually flying the thing, mm. and you have to sort of be able to just look down at your instruments and just be able to scan it sort of very very quickly. Just quickly scan all the instruments, know exactly which one you need to keep your eye on, and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and you say different aircraft have got more or less difficult, that's more or less difficult to do. Yeah, the scan. Yeah. Right. And so on there, if you, you know, like, is, is, that, is the GR4 among the easier ones or among the more difficult? Because, you know, to an, an amateur like me, that's all, just, that's all just Greek to me. I don't know what, the, don't know what you know, any of it does effectively. Yeah. Is it a simple one or not? Um. I know like in the T1, there's not much to look at, right? No, but in the T1, there is what's called a standard NATO T. So you have the attitude indicator, which tells you whether you're going, whether you're climbing, descending, or, or well, it tells you what your attitude is. Uh, that's in the centre on the T1. Then everything else comes off in a T shape. So the idea being in a Hawk T1, it has no head-up display. So you're, you're pretty much glued to that main instrument in the centre. And then you can move left to right to look at your speed, to look at your power, to look at your heading. That's what the NATO T does. Now, the thing about when the Hawk T2 came out, or the F5 I teach on, quite a lot. The F5 is a little radar in the middle. It's a Fisher-Price radar. It's not very good. It's a targeting radar. The F5 was the, um, the Freedom Fighter in effect. Oh. The, um, yeah, so it's uh, long. It's the one in Top Gun they use as a MiG-28 against oh. the F-14. It's okay. a very short, pointy thing. But it's, uh, it's a good trainer because of the fact it's got a very similar cockpit to the Hawk that's laid out. With this, it's got a head-up display with it, of course, on the, on the GR. So everything beneath the head-up display, beneath the glass or the ironwork, we call it, um, in effect is reversionary so you'll be cross-checking a lot of that stuff but i wouldn't right, necessarily be looking right. at it the whole time we used to have to practice hut off approaches what are called head down approaches where you turn the, the head up display off and you use all that instrument and then you've got to work your scan out but again you go from the main instrument the instrument that's going to keep you alive which is the attitude indicator and from that you always go to one instrument and back again another instrument and back again another instrument and back so i might check my power right. come back i might check my speed come back i might check my heading come back and if my speed was off I might go and check my power and reset a little bit, come back. But I'm always coming back to the attitude indicator because right. that's the thing that's going to keep me level. Uh, the engine instruments on the right-hand side, if anything's going wrong with them, on the panel on the bottom right, you'll get a caption anyway. So you don't necessarily need to scan that side of the jet. There's some utils, uh, utility um, test things on the right-hand side as well. Uh, there's some hydraulics, uh, utility pressure gauges on there. Uh, some other things, such bits and pieces. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's a it's a it's a great it's a big cockpit as well. You know, you put your you put your T on the side. You've got your, <laughs> your ashtray there. No, it's a it's a wide cockpit. The hawk is not. The hawk's like this chair here. The hawk, right. I can almost feel the side of the cockpit on my shoulders. So it's just known as being a small cockpit. But this one is, um, yeah, you can lounge around the place. Because the tornado is known as for what it is for an, a, sort of uh, the type of 
uh, fast jet it is, is is quite big. That you, yeah. you said before, it's got a big tail, yes, like a yeah. big tail on it. And I've seen other pilots always. say that about different fast yeah, jets: yeah, is yeah. that some of them you sit really low down, like you're in an F one car. Some of them you sit bolt upright. Mm. All sorts of different positions. So you've got a bit of room in the GR four. Yeah, a bit of room. Um, <clears throat> birds used to bounce off it quite happily. Uh, you'd have to come home because you don't know what the bird's done. But I used to hit birds all the time. Used to get eagles in the locks in Scotland would lift, thinking we're another bird coming to, to attack Jeez. the nest. And the last thing you'd see is a big eagle like, like that. Um, yeah. And so I'd try and avoid those. And we used to then stop ourselves flying down those locks during nesting season so that the birds could uh, obviously get the little babies up, you know, helping all kinds of aviation. We're, we're, we're good like that. I'll so, ask you about bird strikes uh, later. But if we could. Um, sort of, I'd love to, you know, pick your, pick your brain a little bit about sort of aviation, aviation history sure. and all sorts of things, just to get the, the, the takes from a, a, a fast jet pilot, sort of what your feelings are. So sure. if we go back to sort of, well, the beginning, um, you know, uh, there's been, but before, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, I think, to recognise that we've only been humans have only been airborne mm. since the early 20th century yeah. the wright brothers or mm. there's a who is it there's someone else who's got a legitimate shout to have uh, samuel pierpont langling was it no oh, he was uh, actually no, in competition no. with them wasn't he yeah um gosh i can't remember the, the chap's name but some people <clears throat> whenever you talk about the wright brothers were the first to fly a lot of uh, fedora yeah. tippers say actually i think you're fine, it was yeah, yeah it was it, i can't remember the dude's name damn anyway um but there were we have you know since ancient times actually drip dreamt of of copying mm. the birds and um you know being able to fly um uh, and so there's the sort of footage of various attempts of sort of the really really early stuff um and uh well we've spoken before a little bit about sort of um you don't have to watch that or keep doing on you just in the background there um but um those those very first attempts to fly and how it is, you know, even when you come up to the twentieth, the late twentieth century, and fast jets. Yeah, we owe it all really to those first pioneers, those first men that dreamt that actually it it would be possible. There's no reason why, um, you know, the laws of aerodynamics mm. can't be conquered. Yes. Why we can't build something? I mean, it's it's it's, it's quaint, isn't it? To see things like that. Um, it's, it, I find it fascinating because. We can look back on this stuff and we can laugh at it. But at the time, no one, no one else knew any better. Right. And they still felt, well, and I think I, we lost that now. I don't think we have lost it at all. Don't get me wrong. But it's like building the old cathedrals and things that we're never going to see again. Mm. We're never going to see these things again. The buildings mm. like these kind of things we'll never see. And I always say to people, when I teach them things like formation, you'll never have to learn this again. Your, your mind will get into a mode where it knows how to do it, like riding a bike. Yeah. We're never going to have to learn to fly again. Mm. which is quite sad in a way right. because it's all that discovery, all this, this stuff, it, you know, it's hope, isn't it? We have a lot of hope for people. Right. I find it fascinating. Yeah, there was, um, there was a chat, wasn't there? Was it seem, um, Samuel Pierpont Langling? I probably got that wrong. He was in competition with the Wright brothers and he was government funded, I think to the tune of about a million pounds back in the day. And he did everything, kept launching his aircraft into the river, if I remember correctly. Mm, yeah, that's right. Trying to get them to fly. Um, and the Wright brothers were, were buried away as bicycle makers, trying to get something to to work <laughs> it's I, I you know i've got a lot of admiration for these people they're they're sort of they're, they're dreamers of course um but just but just trying trying different things you know just just trying see if it's possible and i can only really imagine the sort of elation when the first guys whether it was the wright brothers or somebody else 
the first ones that are able to sort of, you know, lift off for the first time. Um, and know that they were on the right sort of track. You know, I used to make balsa wood models, really small ones when I was a kid. You buy a strip of balsa wood and then you, you cut the wing out and you cut the body out and the little tail and the little, these things don't, I don't think this happens anymore. And I, I haven't got kids, but I wish dads, I've got a nephew and I'm going to start taking him into this. He wants to play video games, of course, you know, but um, you, you, you have to get a piece of paper, sandpaper, and you just, you do this with the wings. So you just kind of take it off, make it wing shape, make it elliptical shape. And then you do this bit on the bottom, you try and make it like an aerofoil shape. And then you put it in, you might put a blue tack on the nose, balance it out so it balances along the actual wing point and you throw it and you see the thing do this and it glides and you think, wow, I'm on, I'm on the right track. So mm. this thing works. Mm. Cool. So mm. now what do I need to do? Well, how heavy is it? Can I make the wing bigger? Can I make the wing a bit more swept? How, you know, where, where's, and you keep doing this and eventually you build one and this thing will go, you know, meters mm. and you think, yeah, that's, I'm on the right lines. Mm. That's no different, is it, to this? Mm. That's sort of journey of discovery when you're, when you're, you know, six or seven years old. I don't know whether people still do that, but I spend so long sort of, you know, sandpapering these little wings. It's incredible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. This is footage of, uh, of the Wright brothers and, and, uh, at, at Kitty Hawk, yeah. which they named their plane after. And um, yeah, you know, just that very idea of having the sort of, as you mentioned, elliptical wing shape in, in, in profile so you get lift, essentially, or the high and low pressure. On yeah. And that, so these guys, you know, they're not very far off the ground at all, and you don't fly for that long. But look, I mean, can you imagine? It's like the first time men within yeah, reason have ever done it, yeah. particularly. And suddenly, suddenly we're airborne. Civilization is airborne. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, I'd go for the loop, though, personally, just to kind of, you know what I mean, if we can do it, do it properly. <laughs> I mean, that's great. Put a rudder in there. That's it. Get the wing down. Get a bit of G on. <laughs> so if we're going to do combat, we're going to do combat. Let's not mess around. <laughs> these guys, yeah, they know what they're doing. I mean, it's great when you think about it, just pedaling away. Try and get this thing flying. It's fantastic. It's great to see this again. I haven't seen this for a long time, so it's really, really good. For me, it's something that um, being sort of, you know, a confirmed, committed history geek, <clears throat> watching some of that footage, um, it just it does get my heart going a bit because it, mm. it it's a, mo <clears throat> I mean, it's a moment in time. Um, yes, like really a lot is. of like yes. a lot of things, it's not obviously it's pathetic compared to modern aircraft in terms of performance, but that's not the point. No, it's no. a moment in time. It's an irrelevance. And it's, yeah, it's, it's an irrelevance. Well, modern aircraft wouldn't be around without, without no. this happening. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I read something the other day that said that 90% of all, all media consumed was, was made in the last 24 hours. Something. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And you think if you think about it, it makes sense with the TikTok and the Twitter and everything. That is still media. But stuff like that, you've actually got to go out your way and go and find things like that. You mm. know what I mean? I find yeah. that incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a sort of a very good, sort of fairly famous picture of I think sure. the very first moments it lifted off. Um, I, I, th I sometimes think about it when people talk about art or art history. Yeah, they look back at something, some piece of Italian early Renaissance, mm. something from the 13th or 14th century, and say, yeah, it's not really all that good though. It's like, yeah, okay, but that's not really the point. No. It was the first time that was done. That's right. That's why it's important. Yeah. You know, some people say the Mona Lisa, I don't particularly like the Mona Lisa. I don't think it's particularly great. Well, that's not the point. You've got oil painters today that are, could produce something better of a higher photo quality. Sure. But it was the first time all that's those right. things were done. That's why it's important. Yeah, it's anyway. interesting that. It's the same thing with the carving, isn't it? Carving chains out of marble and things like this and how they're mm. very reluctant to move mm. some of these, these statues, aren't they? Because they're worried they might fracture them. In fact, there was one I read about, and I can't remember which one it was, but the other, the other sculptors, when they saw this, the sculptor and what it achieved, 
it was think it was the the, the sort of the, not the chainmail but the the sort of the in, intricacies of all the the interlocking bits they 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 said look we're not going to touch this thing because we don't know how he's done it and if we did touch it it might break mm. and it was that fragile and that nuanced mm. stuff like that's incredible um maybe we'll see maybe we do see that again i don't know but uh, you're absolutely right yeah. talking about fragility how fragile that thing is i mean you as a pilot if someone put together a perfectly working replica of the kitty hawk is that something you'd be interested to have a go in or would you be like well no i'm not, i don't want to get injured thank you very much how, yeah. do, how what's your feeling on that if you could oh yeah every pilot would jump in yeah oh injuries and you don't expect to get injured ever okay right there's nothing like that i mean i'm sure the all, all, all the people i know that that were, were killed never expected that to happen to them that morning but yeah i could loop that <laughs> get a stall turn out of it um it's funny because everyone would jump in that and go right what's up down left right yeah i've got it i've got it i've got it i've got it let's, let's go it's 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 brilliant every pilot thinks they they can master this and of course the truth is you can't you know you can't but uh i just to walk around something like that it's fast you know fascinating because again this is get excited now i used to make these other things out of balsawood where um you had to you had to bring the, the cloth material over the wing and you had to paint it with this i can't believe you painted it with that but it kind of really stretched it and really contracted it if you put too much in it, it would bend the wing the thing would fly upside down so you had to kind of keep painting yeah it's all nicely it's all nicely braced same thing with that you've got cloth over over wooden spars and, and spans and all sorts that stuff is great this is what young people should be doing now you see they're <laughs> out there stabbing each other no no you should be building airplanes that's what you need to be doing have you ever seen this i think it might be a red bull sponsored event where people build their own sort of gliders and yeah, jump off, off yeah. just lump, jump yeah. off thing and some of them obviously are just a yeah. complete rank amateur just a bunch of lads doing it for a laugh. And some of them obviously do understand aerodynamics yeah, properly and they've built well. like a fairly decent Goes, glider yeah, so, thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. But I, I've said this to you before as well. Um, the idea that the Wright brothers in 03, I think it was, 1903, uh, Kitty Hawk, and by so, World War One, mm. like 10 years later, 11 years later, they're already... It, it, it's, it, went, it came on a long way. I mean, that's a picture of a sock with camel. Yeah. Among my favourite aircraft yeah um and you can see obviously it hasn't got a retracting gear or anything that's how it flies with those wheels like that um biggle said if you can fly a sop with camel you can fly anything yeah um yes <laughs> um, must know. yeah is there this idea that once you've got the idea of what is required to fly that that's the most important thing uh, yeah, you know it's that. like once you've you know once you can ride a bike yeah you can ride any bike within reason is is that the case with flying well it could be the case with anything if you arguably you're correct because if you can teach a student to fly a light propeller airplane then maybe they believe in themselves that they could fly a jet or they could become an astronaut or whatever whatever the, the future is in the same way if you can write some prose and it's it's celebrated prose then arguably someone you, you feel like i could write a book now i could write a novel or something you know what i mean so that that is the way forward i mean the same thing you could argue with the iphone can you someone makes this device that's touchscreen and before you know it we've got iphone 15 now whatever it is and that 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 accelerates that technology so i think that inception phase that that the bud the nurturing of especially within aviation really was the catalyst wasn't it to as you said drive things from what was the early 1900s into uh, aircraft actually fighting less than a decade later which to me is still incredible. A lot of people would say that aviation hasn't actually come that far. And I, I'm interested in this, this factor, or it's stagnated or it can't be accelerated. Um, we keep crashing F-35s, don't we? <laughs> keep losing yeah. them, yeah. don't know where they are. Just lost. So has, has maintenance, has serviceability, has re reliability come on that much since the days of 
stay stock with camel a lot of people would say well no it hasn't because we keep crashing f-35s other people would point to the airline industry and the the massive reductions that's had in in uh, crashes so uh, it's a very interesting subject i don't know what the answer is most definitely but you're absolutely right the acceleration of technology from especially in the early days i've read about this before actually was something that was quite astounding yeah I wonder, I'd, like to, I'd, I'd love to ask you this, and I'd also like to ask a race driver the same sort of question. But the idea of how much of it really is about just the feel. So hopefully, within reason, you could teach most people um, how to fly even a fast jet, as long as you haven't got sort of learning difficulties. Yeah. Whether you're actually any good at it in the real world is another question. Yeah, yeah. But the idea that you could teach someone how to do it. Uh, but then there's this idea of the feel. So... If you take someone that's extremely good at go-karting, yeah. extremely good, um, you put them in more and more powerful cars until they're in an F1 car. And the skills that they learn, mm. the ability to feel the thing under them, yeah. they learn it on a go-kart. And then you end up putting them in some monstrous F1 machine. Mm. And it, but it's essentially the same thing in terms of the ability to feel what you're doing. Is that the same in flying, that once you understand how to fly, um, you know, just a Cessna, it's the sort of the same thing going on even when you're in a GR4, but you've just got way more power and there's loads more going on. Is that the case yeah. or not? Is it just a completely different thing from flying a Cessna to flying a G4, GR4? I know, I, I spoke to a Typhoon mate once who landed a light aircraft at a wedding. Right. So he, and he'd hired this light aircraft from Cranwell, I think it was from the flying club there. And he hadn't really flown light aircraft very much, but he had a, he had, a, he had done a flight. So someone had ticked him off for it, which is probably a massive mistake. And he took this, we were all at the wedding and there was like a little landing strip at the guy's house because it was right in Norfolk, somewhere, I think. And this guy came in and he came over the top first. He was using his phone to navigate, you know, and he found the airfield and the guy on the phone was phoning him up, mate, you're over the top now, you know. And he, he came in and he landed quite long and managed to stop this thing. And I spoke to him in the evening over a few hours and he said, mate, these light aircraft are a nightmare. It's in the Typhoon, you put your velocity vector on the runway and you, you massage the power for the speed and the aircraft will impact in, you, in your land. So invariably, it's a lot easier to land a Typhoon than to land a light aircraft when there's a lot of wind. You might be coming in a bit sideways, for example. So, but to operate the Typhoon, this is why I teach on two different aircraft. I teach on the F5, which is quite uh, hard to fly, but very easy to operate. There's nothing in the F5. It's like a Hawk T1 cockpit. It's nothing really there to do. And then I teach on the F18, a US Naval aircraft, of course, which is easy to fly, flight control systems. But to operate it, there's a lot of screens, a lot of weapons management, a lot of radar management. So you prioritize, your, your priorities come different. That's the thing. Um, right. So there are, and if you look at Formula One, maybe as opposed to say go-karting, and I watch Formula One, but I'm not an expert at this, but you listen to what they say, uh, the car needs to be managed a lot more in F1 now than, than ever before. So tire management, and they have race management strategies, they have different modes they have to select for fuel burn. That was never a thing, going back to James Hunt, Nick right. Lauder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mansell, or that Schumacher, or that kind of stuff. That, that wasn't, and if that was a thing, it was done by the guys on the pit wall. It wasn't done by the guys in the car having to, you know, get a radio message. You need to go into mode six because yeah, right. we're expecting a safety car or whatever. And that's a fuel level. And so, but arguably, arguably, as I say, arguably, the cars now may be less skitty. So maybe easier to drive than they were back in, as I said, the Schumacher era. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.